Today's scripture is Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Allison. All right. Well, good morning again. My name's Sean, if I don't know you. Um, the uh, lead pastor teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. If you might have questions about who we are, um, we'd love to help you navigate that. Um, just know, the fact that we're nine congregations, but we consider ourselves still one church is really important for you to know. Um, but man, we want you to know, specifically going into the fall, how important our core values are and the engine that really drives us, and that being communities. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are on the scope of being part of Redemption Peoria, um, to really get yourself plugged into a community. And the best way to do that is going to be at our Start Here class, because we'll catch you early if you're like, whoa, I didn't know Redemption Peoria was about that. Like, you guys believe in the Bible? Like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm in. Um, so we want to make sure we explain all that we are and all that we do uh, for those first three weeks. If you're new, honestly, and your friends just invited you and they're already inviting you to community, that's fine. But if you're kind of coming in and you say, I don't know, I have a place to plug in, uh, community is going to be the best way to do that and, and start here is going to be the place to do that. So just know that's what's happening. Um, all right, let's jump in. Normally I give a long kind of breakdown as to where we are in Ephesians. I'm not going to do that too much this morning uh, simply because there's a lot to cover. Uh, essentially, I'm going to have to give two 20-minute uh, breakdowns, uh, one being... Um, a important topic that has to be discussed that a lot of people are bringing to this text and the other being um, the text itself. Okay. So we believe in at our core, the bread and butter of redemption Peoria. If you're going to go here is we're going to teach the scriptures verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And so we believe in teaching the text. Here's the thing about our text today. A lot of you have read maybe beforehand or know of Ephesians or came in and just heard it for the first time. And some of your Bibles, your translations don't say bond servants. They say slaves. Uh, and then you even maybe even read bond servants and you saw masters and you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? So I'm going to take, um, I don't know, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, as long as it, it needs to, uh, to, to unpack what we're talking about. And, and here's why this is important. Um, you may not have questions about this, but I've already been asked multiple times before, like in Ephesians, hey, we're getting to this text. I was reading ahead. I saw slaves and masters. What's the deal with that? And I've said, hey, we'll get there when we get there. Um, so just relax. Um, but we have to unpack this. And we have to unpack it, not just because you have questions, but because we are seeing this text immediately through our cultural lens. Now we do this through um, scripture all the time, but this has such a negative connotation and such a gross misunderstanding that we have to stop and explain what we do as Christians with slaves and masters, which, oh, thank you. Did you guys hear that throbbing? I was going to lose my mind, but I was like, maybe it's in my head. Oh, yes. Um, golly. Can we just breathe for a second? 
Man. Um, okay, so, um, okay, now I'm here. I don't know what I said prior to that. Um, here, here's what I do want to say uh, about this in general, okay? Um, I don't want anyone, the elders don't want anyone, the, the deacons leaders do not want anyone in this room ever feeling like when they read something in the Bible or they have a question that they've ran into in the Bible that they feel like they cannot answer it. Hear me when I say this. This is important for you to know. As the leader of Redemption Peoria, the lead pastor of Redemption Peoria, there are things in scripture I still have questions about. You understand? So if anyone in this room feels like, man, I read about hell, I read about election, I read about homosexuality, I read about slaves and masters, I'm out. And and here's what happens. Here's the unfortunate nature about this. You watch your five-minute YouTube video, or you listen to some podcast, and suddenly you have all the facts, and you just deuce out of the church, and you're like, that's just the way it is. And I'm saying, ain't nobody here hushing anybody. So if you have questions about anything, hear me. It's important that we do the hard work and investigate. Be willing to dive in because this is what what I've seen specifically on this topic is um, it'd be grossly misused words like slaves and masters and and historically it's been used that way. And so you kind of chalk everybody up in the same picture. And you go, oh, see, this is what Christians believe. And so what I want to do is I want to dismantle that. I want us to understand the text rightly, but to do that, we have to spend some time just real quickly talking about what slaves and masters are biblically, okay? So let me first make the problem, uh, which is always a good idea. Let me create the problem if you're not aware of the problem. Listen to this. I I have five things that I think are are worth um, explaining. And just so you know how this whole thing came to me originally. I got saved about six months into my salvation. I was living in this area called Tweaker Hill. And me and my buddies were running. We all got saved. There's about four or five of us got saved. And we were going to this small church. And my boy Reggie comes up to me. We get off the school bus. And he goes, dude, let me show you something. I told a kid I was a Christian today, and he showed me these Bible verses. He showed me these obscure verses in Genesis and in uh, Leviticus, and it's on slavery. And, and we're both going, whoa, 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 the Bible promotes slavery? This is crazy. So we read it, and we're like, dumb, sh- like, I don't know if we want to be a part of this, right? And so eventually from there, I have to begin to ask questions and process, but it wasn't later until life, uh, probably about five years ago that I go, all right, I, I, I'm really tackling some hard issues when it comes to my theology. And this was one of them. So let me show you what I ran into biblically on this issue. Listen to this. If this doesn't create a problem, then I don't know what will. There is no verse in all of the Bible that says slavery is evil and should not be practiced. There's not one verse that you will find in the Bible. Human beings are actually considered to be property in certain parts of the Bible. You can see this in Exodus 12, 44, Exodus 21, 20, and in Leviticus 22. So slaves within in, in, in Israel used to produce offspring even. You can see this in Genesis as well, that a slave would be forced to produce offspring for their master. Uh, probably the most well-known uh, account of this is uh, Abraham. Uh, number three, uh, sexual violations such as like rape or engaged... Uh, uh, Rape or something uh, along the lines of however that took place. Um, If it was performed against a slave, that man or woman would have to, actually it's all in uh, men accounts, but men towards a woman would have to pay uh, some kind of financial um, recompense recompense to, to take care of what he had done. But if the woman was free, that man would be put to death. Okay? So you can already see some unequal things. Let's create some problems here. Slave owners were permitted to beat their slaves without any penalty, provided that the slave survives. That is in Leviticus. 
Biblical legislation contains inequality and value placed on a slave's life compared to a free man's life. You see this multiple times through the Levitical law. So there's just five. That's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. So let's just start there. There are things that are in the Bible that are just tough. So how could I, or how could so many of you claim to hold to Christianity when things like that are in the Bible? How do we process this? The first thing that we need to do, and this is really important, is we need to understand the lens in which we are defining the word slave and defining the word master is not the way we understand it in our American colonial history. Like, antebellum slavery is so far removed from what we understand of biblical slavery. So I, I want to explain that. In the same way I give you five things, let me explain how this is different. Just so, because here's what you're doing. You're coming to the text, you're hearing slavery, and 99% of you are thinking African-American with some, on a plantation with a white owner. That's how you're processing slaves and masters. And let me just explain how that is not the case. We need to start there. Whatever context you're bringing to the text, it's, it's wrong, historically at least, in, in American uh, Christianity. First thing is this. Um, biblical slavery had nothing to do with race. Nothing. Now, now it's obvious on this other side, uh, colonial slavery has everything to do with race. Very few. I mean, you could probably count on, a, on your hand how many times it would not be a race thing. 99.9% of the time, a African-American male or female was the slave. You're not seeing in the late 1700s, early 1800s, a, a black man, and he was a businessman. He was a slave. You would identify the slave by their skin color. Hear me. Biblical slavery had nothing to do with skin color. If you were Hispanic, you could have a Hispanic slave. If you were white, you would have a white slave. It had nothing. You would literally not be able to tell them apart socioeconomically. You would not be able to tell them uh, racially. You would not be able to tell them culturally. They were all the same. So there's the first big issue that you're going to run into as you compare this thing. Second thing, um, slaves in, in, in Levitical law are more appropriately just in uh, biblical, the narrative, the context that we're diving into shared the same culture. So what you find in antebellum slavery is there's a different culture as far as the way church is done. Even if they went to the same church later on, they couldn't sit in the same place. How family life went, traditions went, music went, it was all different. That was not the case in biblical slavery. The way, the context, the way that it laid out was you could literally live next door to your slave. You, you, would have, you would go to the same market, and many times uh, the slave was actually smarter than the, the master. And, and you can see this is the third thing uh, that, that I want to share. Um, within slavery, different than the way that we understand American slavery, um, promotion and education was drastically different. You could see this, so check this out. As a slave in, in biblical times, just our context in general, you could actually rise to be second in power in all of the nation. We see this in two very famous examples in the story of Joseph and Daniel. I mean, even Joseph, as a slave, he's the first in Potiphar's house. In many situations, slaves were actually more educated than their masters. So this is not the case in colonial slavery. 
We do not see this. Not only was there uh, not the same equal education rights, but there was a suppression of education, a belief that the black man was not as smart as the white man. This is, that's not even close to the same. So you're bringing that to the text. That's not what the text is. Number four, slavery was not the bottom. So we think of colonial slavery and we think of um, they're treated like animals, What you need to understand is many, many situations, and actually as I read some of the accounts uh, that I read that kind of maybe jostled you a little bit, like it did me, which is fair, this was the loving thing to do. Many accounts you find um, a man or woman selling themselves into slavery uh, in the same way maybe you could process, uh, so if you owed me $10,000, you owe the government $100,000, you're homeless now, you had to get rid of your house, you just, you have nothing left. You can go to a brother and sister, even in the faith, and go, let me serve you. I'll be your slave. Let me live with you. You can see a perfect example of this in Deuteronomy 15, where it's the year of Jubilee, and the law is setting out that if you have a a male or, or a female slave, you can say, you go free. You're welcome to go free, and you're actually supposed to give them out of your bank account, give them money to start their new life. But a slave in the the, the progress of, of Deuteronomy 15, the slave in that moment, and you can read this, this is the language. He can go, why? My kids love your kids. Like we love you. Let us stay here. Let us be your slave. Let, let us, let us serve you. You can literally read about that. So it's not the bottom of the barrel. It's quite actually the opposite many times. Lastly, and this is important, what the New Testament does is it turns everything on its head when it comes to the faith issue of slavery. We process, we, we can look back and go, and we got uh, a, a lot of even songs that we hear from Negro spirituals, and we can go, yeah, well, they were Christians, but they were not treated uh, as equals. And what Philemon actually does in the book of Philemon is he sends a slave to Philemon. And listen to this. This is important from Philemon 116. He says, no longer, he's sending him no longer as a bond servant, quite literally the word slave, but more than a bond servant as a beloved brother. So this is, this is, we're equal. We're equal. So you could point out in this moment, in the same church, Jerry, you're the slave of Ricardo over there. And so when we read the context of this, what we're seeing is Paul is addressing in Ephesians chapter 6, slaves and masters in the same room, in the same way. Hear me, they just have different jobs. Now this is important. Um, that is not to say that all slavery was great. But here, here's the problem. Here, here's what, what I'm going to do today. I'm going to do my best to show you that the best way we can contextually understand this uh, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 is through the lens of employee and employer, like boss, manager, uh, and, and somebody who works for that person. And, and now I need you to hear this. In many situations in our day, let me say today, there is a boss or a manager predominantly in third world countries who actually treat their employees just as bad as the way you think colonial slavery was. As the way that you understand, not biblical slavery, colonial slavery. Meaning today, what will happen? I've heard many accounts of managers, bosses, who are paying these women, forcing them to have sex with them. And not in prostitution. They're like making blankets, but if they want their job, they have to have sex with their boss. Or if they mess up, they'll cut off their finger or their hand. This is real life today, and we don't call it masters and slaves. We call it bosses or managers and employees. Well, it's not. 
So, so even the way that we've discombobulated bringing our own context, it's, it's not that simple. So, so I, I would encourage you to know that at, at the core of what you're doing is you're bringing your language to the text. And you're imposing your culture on the text. And then you're saying that's unfair. Well, in a lot of ways, it was wrong. And this is why Paul is addressing it. But it is not what you think it is. And the only way I can process doing this is if you decided to go hang out with the Brits for a little bit, go to England, right? And so I don't know if you know, they obviously spell a lot of things wrong, adding O-U instead of just O, right? But I looked up some words just so you can know. So if you want to move to, uh, to, to London, you want to go live in England, you're hanging out with the, uh, some British person out there, and they go, hey, grab your trainers. You would go, what's a trainer? That's your sneakers. Some of you knew already. Okay, get it. Right? But, but then now, now hear me. You go, no, no, they're not called trainers. They're called sneakers. Well, where are you, bro? You're not in America. So guess what word you're going to use? Trainers. Right? Listen, I, I got more. I thought that these were hilarious. Waistcoats are called vests. This is funny. If you need drugs to go to a pharmacist, you're not going to see the pharmacist. You're going to see the chemist, which is probably more accurate. French fries or chips. French fries or chips, cookies or biscuits, hear me. The first floor is the second floor, and the second floor is the third floor. So if you get on an elevator and you say, take me to the second floor, you know where they're going to take you? They're going to take you to the third floor, because the first floor is called the ground floor. Now, you get on the elevator, and you go, hey, take me to the second floor. And you go to the third floor, and you go, what are you doing? I took you to the second floor. No, the second floor is the second floor. The third floor is the third floor. Well, not in England, it's not. You don't get to decide... What words, what verbiage is attached to that culture? And I would just encourage you in the same way, we don't get to decide because of the black eye, the terribleness, the, the mishandling of even scripture from Christians. Honestly, the, 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 um, the hundreds of years of oppression that we saw in slavery, as awful as that is, we do not get to carry that in and apply it to biblical slavery. It's not the same. It's not the same. So I would encourage you, as crazy as this sounds, um, you can read the words bondservant or slave, and in many accounts we read biblically, it was a loving thing. And we only, and I, it's so, that's even crazy because we even process that and we hear that and we go, no. Let me read something from John Stott. I thought it helps uh, address why Paul himself is addressing this. He says, slavery seems to have been a universal, universal in the ancient world. A high percentage of the population were slaves. It has been computed that in the Roman Empire, there were 60 million slaves. They constituted the workforce and included not only domestic servants and manual laborers, but educated people as well, as well like doctors, teachers, administrators. So just so we understand, when he's referring to slaves, he can be referring to the same people that are driving $200,000 cars. You understand? That's different than the way that we process slavery. With that being said, uh, let's, let's read our text. And um, uh, let's read our text. Let me say this real quick about this, just because this is my last thing. I'm sorry. I get going, then I just have to. Okay. Um, I just, I need you to know too, if you're still struggling with what I'm talking about, um, how asinine it would be to accuse Christians as supporting slavery. And let me just tell you, uh, on behalf of William Wilberforce and John Newton, uh, on men who spent 50 years of their life um, trying to stop slavery, men like Martin Luther King, who as much as we want to 
paint him as a humanitarian, did everything rooted deeply in the gospel and scripture. We want to paint him as, oh, he was just fighting for human rights. No, he was fighting for the Omago Day. He was fighting for something far bigger than just men being free, but, but equal because scripture calls them to be. And so when we, like, Point, or anyone points at Christianity and goes, see, you support slavery. This is crazy. I understand that, that there have been uh, men who have used texts like this, Ephesians 6 specifically, to say it's okay to have slaves. But our history, our overarching trajectory within Christianity has been to stop slavery. I mean, goodness gracious, Abraham Lincoln is quoting Genesis 1 for the Emancipation Proclamation. It was scripture. It was the Bible. It was the followers of Jesus who fought slavery. So you may wrestle with why it's using this language. Just know that men and women before you did not see it like that. They didn't see it the way that you are. They actually used sex like this uh, uh, to process it completely different, to reverse these heinous acts. With that said, Ephesians chapter 6, let's do it. Verse 5. Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Let's stop there uh, real quick. Um, so I'm going to, based on what I just said, um, I'm going to take bond servants. It could be translated, it's doula, so slaves or servants, um, and I'm, I'm going to try to unpack this the best I can because I think culturally the way that we can understand this is employees, okay? And when you hear the word master, culturally, the way that we can understand this, like the best way we can kind of translate this is in real time is bosses. Now, I know some of you are actually both, which is crazy. You're kind of in that middle management position where you're both an employee to somebody, you're under somebody, and you're somebody's boss, so you really need to listen up because we're going to talk to you twice. But maybe for the first group of you, those of you who have a job and, and are under, and, and whether you're getting paid $10, $20, $30, $40 now, wherever you're getting paid on the spectrum, right? Teachers are like four. Um, <laughs> Whatever you're getting paid uh, on this, that, that person who's paying you in that moment, they are paying you to do a service, and this is what we're talking about. That's who we're describing. So again, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Stop. Let's talk about how we got here real quick. Back in chapter 5, I want to show you this. Um, we read a term uh, that, w- that told us to um, submit to one another. I think we have this, the first, the first line of this. So we're called uh, call to uh, submit to one another. Now, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ was rooted. It, submitting to one another wasn't the, the command. Remember, if you were with us, it was rooted in the command to be filled with the Spirit. Paul commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. And he said, here's how you can be filled with the Spirit. And he laid out a couple things. And one of the things that he laid out was to submit to one another out of reverence, of, uh, reverence to Christ. Well, then what he does is he then begins to take, well, here's how you could submit to one another. And he talks about husbands and wives, uh, children and, and parents. And then today he talks about slaves and masters or employees to their bosses. Well, then what he's going to do from there is he's going to say, okay, we want to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, we need to 
submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Here's how we can submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Employees, submit to your bosses or obey your bosses. Well, how do I do that? And then you could just lay them all out if you want to put them all down there. Uh, we could do this with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Uh, not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Each five of these, the reason I put those other ones in parentheses, is because the beginning part is the imperative, or, or better, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, it's a fancy Greek term that, that pushes itself towards fall living out employees to their bosses. So there's only one command in our text today, and that's the word obey. That's the word obey. Listen, follow, which uh, lines up more with uh, the children to their parents than it does um, uh, wives to their husbands, if you remember that. Okay, so just so you kind of understand where we can get there. But what I want you to see in this, this is important. What we're going to be talking about today is why all of you are here. All the time you're coming and you're going, I want to be a believer. I don't know what to do. What do I do? How do I follow Jesus? Here's what we're doing. These five things are teaching us how to be filled with the spirit. Do you understand? Those who are filled with the spirit do these things in their work. And the people who are doing these things in their work, hopefully are filled with the spirit. So this is what we're trying to accomplish. So obey, let's go through them. I'm going to do as fast as I can to, uh, for the sake of time. First, it says this, this is how we are to, to obey with fear and trembling. Um, uh, luckily for us, we have in Colossians chapter three, verse 22, we have a, a verse that's very, um, close. It's laying out, Paul's laying out using the same language. And he reminds us that this fear and trembling is not meant to be towards the boss, but we're obeying. And we're going to see this in reference to Christ. We're obeying. And what we're doing in fear and trembling is we're recognizing, here we go. Here's the words we've been using the divine order. We're, we're, what we're doing is we go, whoa. God has this boss here. He has me as the employee. I'm working for, for this man or woman. In this moment, I need to recognize the divine order. And if I try to work outside of that divine order, I try to rebel against that divine order. I'm, I'm rebelling against the divine. He has placed this in this moment. Now, there are obviously terrible situations where this needs to happen, but we're talking about uh, the rule, not the exception. That you're going to work tomorrow, for the most part, and you will be under somebody. And you are to obey them in recognizing, in fear and trembling, recognizing the divine order. God has his hand in your business hierarchy. He has his hand. Recognize that. That's the first thing. The second thing is, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So I'm not tripping when I say this. The word sincere has been the most interesting word I've studied in all of Ephesians. Like if I was to ask you, this was crazy. If I was to ask you, can you just tell me what since like define sincere for me, right? Don't do it right now. But like, you're just thinking like, okay, uh, this is like, maybe you're thinking of synonyms, but every synonym, at least I thought of, and I asked my wife, Candace, like you thought of that synonym. It tells a part of sincerity, maybe truthfulness or being real or whatever it is, or like something about coming from the heart. There's some, it's really hard to define, honestly. So I was trying to think about how I would explain it to Eve. And I was just like, I have no idea. And so here's, what's crazy about this word, why it was so interesting. Quite literally translated, um, the word sincerity is not folded. 
And, and you're right. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, what does that mean? Um, and so I started to unpack this. This was so bizarre. Sincerity has this idea, this nuance to it that's trying to be communicated to us that says, listen, don't double fold. Don't complicate. Um, keep this real simple. And the best way I can translate this is you are where you are. So be all there. Don't, don't like when it's trying to get like, when it's saying like double, don't double fold or don't fold, don't complicate it. Keep it simple. Insincerity is simply saying, be all there. Now your tendency may be to, to go to NFL.com. I get it. Okay, I understand. Your tendency may be to check out for a while. I understand. But what the text is pushing you towards is be all there. Care. I didn't mean to rhyme, but it just happened. <laughs> Care about your job. Don't, don't, don't fold this up. Don't make it complicated. Be sincere in what you're doing. And here's what's wonderful about this. He actually gives us an example in our own life as believers. The correlation is the way you act before Jesus. Nobody's going, or at least an honest Christian is not going to Jesus and going, Jesus, I want to serve you and I want to serve myself. I want to serve you and I want to serve my own kingdom, my own desires. No, anybody who's truly following Jesus is going, Jesus, I'm here. My whole life is yours. And in the moment, this person is paying you money to be there. And in honesty and sincerity, you are there. Be there. Be present. So as a teacher, I get it. There are moments where Eve is even talking and I'm like, tell your story already. Get it. This could have taken 60 seconds. We're on 10 minutes at this point. Like, like I understand it's moments like so you're talking, be there. Like I understand as a firefighter, a doctor, a nurse, it's just like a wave over and over. Somebody else acted like an idiot. Somebody else did something dumb. I got to pick this up. Why are they doing this? And you can go over and over and over again and you can grow callous. What scripture is pointing you towards here is be all there. Be all there. Be there. You may feel like, man, I'm just throwing up drywall. Be there. Be there. From there, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, this is important, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. So be there even when no one else knows you're there or treats you like you're there. Uh, so I went to 16 different elementary schools. That's what you get when your parents are, are drug addicts. And so um, I, I learned something real quick uh, going to all these different elementary schools. And I remember this very vividly. Uh, probably in like fifth grade, I noticed that all of us were the same. All of us kids were the same. When we're in gym and we're told to do the push-ups and sit-ups, as soon as the coach turns around, you stop doing the push-ups and sit-ups. But you keep counting, okay? And so when he turns back around, it's... 99, 100. You got it in. Because our propensity is, we, I can see you, I can touch you, I can get accolades from you, or I can be disciplined by you. And so what I'm processing is you. And so I want to be all here when you know I'm all here. When you're watching, that's when I want to be all here. And Paul goes, you're missing it. Be all there even when no one else is looking. And this is what's crazy. Be all there and some of you, this is so difficult. When your boss, like, chooses to not recognize you're all there. It's almost like blatant, like, they just don't appreciate me. 
be all there when no one else knows you're there. But then he goes on to explain something even more profound than that. Uh, not by way as uh, eye service, but as people pleasers, but as bond servants, again, the same word we talked about before. I'm going to put these two together, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Here's what I want to do in verse, the end of verse six and verse seven. There's two things that I think are worth noticing. The first thing is um, something that as believers, if you call yourself a believer, you already know, but here it is in the text to prove it to you. Listen to the language. Um, you're a bond servant, you're a slave. Of Christ first, you're doing the will of God, both in verse 6. Listen to the, uh, uh, in the middle of 7 there, at the end of 7. As to the Lord and not to men. So, so he, here's your drive. Here, here's, listen, I know this is Christianity 101. You're filling out that report. You're typing along eight hours a day. You're throwing up the drywall. You're digging the hole. You're caring for the sick. Whatever you're doing in your job, teaching the five-year-old, whatever it is, It's not for your boss. You know what's crazy? It's not even for yourself. But you know something that maybe um, nobody else who doesn't call themselves a believer can recognize. That there is an almighty God who is watching you. And what's crazy about this, he doesn't just know when you're all there physically. He knows when you're all there spiritually, emotionally, mentally, he knows when you're truly all there, when you're truly there from the heart. This is the language that it's using. So can we just step back for a moment and recognize you have your job. Man, I've said this a hundred times since we've planted. You have your job because God has given you your job. And you may feel like you're not in your sweet spot right now. You're just kind of doing what you do. I get it. We're going to come back to that in a second. But you have your job maybe as a mom you're staying at home, you're just doing this, you feel like, eh, this is, I don't love every moment of this. Right? Like you're a your construction worker, you're washing cars, here you are, you feel like, man, I, I don't love every moment of this. You're pushing papers, I don't love every moment of this. Hear me, Jesus is there with you. Like, is this not what you teach your kids? Is this not what you explain that you, you, you cognitively know but you recognize it doesn't matter if the PE teacher turns away. He knows how many sit-ups you did. He knows. And so we're not working our job because we're awesome. We're not working our job even for the promotion. We're not working our job for accolades. We're working our job because God has gifted you in a way to do that job. And he has called you to be where you are. And I'm not talking to those five-year-olds. You are every single day. And in God's common grace, he has placed you there to live out something they may not understand until they're 20 years old. You don't get to say the name of Jesus. I understand that. You don't get to evangelize. I understand that. But God has placed you there for his glory and he is watching. He's watching. Now he's watching. Check this out. Look at this. I think this is really cool. The beginning of seven says this, rendering service with a good will. So rendering service is literally just the verb form of doulos, which is slave. So like, like serving, serving this, hear this, with a good, with a good will. So this is what I want to encourage you. I think the best thing you can do to play this out as God is watching you is care about the company you work for. And I don't mean just like to clock in and out but actually want great hearts to thrive. Actually want 
Phoenix Fire to thrive. Actually wants Wells Fargo to thrive. Care about the business. What is, am I, is this, maybe I'm seeing something that could help the business. I'm there. I'm being all there. What can honor God? Because there's a broken system here. I can help this. I really care about where I am. From a good heart, I am rendering service. From a good will, I am rendering service. This is huge. So I want to read something about this from uh, the message. I love what he says. So the message is written uh, by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Usually I don't like it. Jim loves it. I find it heretical sometimes, but it is what it is. Servants respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartedly as Christ's servants, doing what God wants you to do and work with a smile on your face. Always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. So I have two quick things on this to you employees. Okay. I got about eight minutes. Um, to, to, to you employees, there's two quick things that I want to put in front of you. Number one, um, work is meant to make us tired. Do you understand? Now, I understand we have a huge work-life balance, and like we talk about that, and I push that to the 80-year-old guy who's, or I'm sorry, to the 50-year-old guy who's working 80 hours a week, and he's neglecting his family. Like, that's not okay. I, I also want to recognize just as much that there's a man in Juarez, Mexico right now, working seven days a week, 15 hours a day, and if he chose to take a day off, he looks at you and goes, work-life balance. I wouldn't have a job to be able to take care of my family if I did that. And so we look at this, and hear me, it could always get harder. So let's just recognize your job is difficult. Nobody's saying it's not. It's supposed to be. It's, if you have a good creation worldview, this is part of the curse. So, as, so from your worldview, you read Genesis 3 and go, well, that's why it's terrible. <laughs> you, you, so, so, so hear me. Go to bed tired. Go to bed tired. Number two, and this is huge, it also matters he would not be telling you to lay out these, he wouldn't be laying out these five things, telling you to do these things if it didn't matter. It has huge implications. Listen to what John Stott says on this. Our great need is the clear sightedness to see Jesus Christ and set before him or set him before us. It is possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it. Or to spring clean the house as if Jesus Christ were the honored guest. It is possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat their patients, nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, secretaries to type letters, as if each case they were serving Jesus Christ. The same can be said in relation to the masses of industrial workers with tedious routine machine minding to do, and with miners who have to to work underground. The same must be true for Christian miners, factors workers, dustmen, road sweepers, um, public laboratory attendants, so on and so on. And he continues to go on. It was a lot of list of people. The point is this, you're doing this for Jesus. And if you were actually doing it for Jesus, like in the flesh, you would know it matters. And what I'm trying to put in front of you is you're doing that. You just can't see him. You, You just can't see him. Now, when we do this well, there's a reward. There is. If you don't believe me, verse eight, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. There's a reward. You don't got to believe in the prosperity gospel to recognize that when you work in congruence to the way God has made you, that you care about your business, the business you're working for from a sincere heart, and you really work uh, for your boss as you would Jesus Christ, 
there is a reward. And some instances, yes, just by nature, the way the world is wired, yes, you'll be a good worker and you might get promoted. You might get a raise. But even if you don't, there's a reward. From there, where I finish, and it's real simple to, for me to unpack this part. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So um, in some, I, I, I try to think of ways I can unpack this. I don't think I can unpack it any differently than I just did for employees because he says this, masters, do the same. And with the way we can read that, um, like from there, if you're in that middle management or you are the boss, um, the word that needs to come to mind that needs to be removed from your vocabulary immediately, and it's true for both, but you see it more often in management, is greed. You want more from that employee and you want to have to give less. And I'm not saying you need to just lavishly, all right, I'll give you a $100,000 raise, maybe. Um, what I am saying, though, is you're suppressing you, you pressing down, you holding on tightly to whatever you're holding. The language that he's using is stop your threatening, knowing that he is, and that's all he, the only command he gives, knowing that he who is both their master and yours uh, is in heaven. There's no partiality with him. So stop your threatening. Stop trying to, to, to meddle down, push down, thumb down. Stop that. You don't need to threaten them. That's not the way. But here's what's missed in this text. How truly relational this is. Again, I'll go back to where I started. In this moment, he can literally point out Jerry and go, Jerry, Ricardo, has he been a good employee? Ricardo, is that true? Jerry, is that true? Jerry, honor your boss. Honor your master. He's over you, Jerry. Ricardo, you don't need to say, like, they're in the same room. Relationally, they are in this together. So this is important for you bosses, specifically if you're over somebody who's a believer, because this is crazy. Even if you're, somebody over, uh, uh, if you're over somebody who's a believer, you're recognizing there is definitely not a betterness about this. You know that already to be true. But when it's all said and done, you're going to both stand before Jesus equally based on the position he put each of you in. He's over both of you. So here's where I want to close. Um, I just have one big closing thought to, uh, to share with you guys. And sorry, I had to fly through so much of this. Um, there is a difficulty to all of this. I understand that, that what I'm saying is sounds awesome, but it is so easy to check out. But, but, um, here's what I want to say to that. As much as it is easy to check out or to do like halfway work or to, to not be all there all the time or to not see your boss as somebody that God has put you under as much as that is easy, just as much true that that is um, in existence because of the curse in Genesis three, Jesus has come to fill you with the spirit so that you can work against the curse. Meaning that Jesus, this is why big theology, all of life is all for Jesus. It's not just Jesus came to save your soul, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I say the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus on the cross, when he died, he did not just die for souls. He died for Wells Fargo to work properly. The structural powers, the authorities that work against and make the world broken, Jesus has brought a kingdom. And in bringing a kingdom, he's saying, this is the way it is. Now, you ready why, why this is so huge? Because when we work the way that it is, we are people of the kingdom as believers. And guess what? When it's all said and done, we're going to spend eternity on the earth. And you know what's not going to be broken? Work. 
Work will not be broken. We'll work. Believe me, we'll work. And we'll enjoy every moment of it. It won't be tedious. It won't be difficult. It's going to be enjoyable. It's going to be to his glory. We'll always recognize that. It will be without sin. And so when you go into Wells Fargo, you go into your construction company, you go into the classroom, and you just do your job well, the way it's supposed to be, the way that Jesus died for it to be, the way that the kingdom would look like in that job, you're on mission. You are reflecting God's kingdom where you are. And hear me when I say this. Man, as elders, we have things we're so excited to unpack in the next year about what we're going to do collectively in poor parts of the city. We're so excited to do that. But you know what's always going to be the crux, what can never go away, what the drive is, the whole gospel to the whole world from the whole church. You are where you are and the elders aren't there with you. And you live out the kingdom of God for his glory. And it's a good thing. This is the mission of God. Jesus Christ is restoring all things back to the way they're supposed to be. And you get to play a part of that as an employee. The phone's ringing. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace. We recognize that. Um, A text like this obviously required some unpacking, but at the same time, it's so good for our soul to hear because for most of us, we're all doing work. We're all laboring. Maybe some are going to school and that is considered their labor right now, but you've called us to do it well. You've called us to do it as if we're doing it to you. And so we're grateful for that. We pray that you would be with us as we do that. Uh, Please, Spirit, fill us. We want to be Spirit-filled. And so we want to do all that we're doing in our work and vocation, school, whatever it is, stay-at-home ma, all these, all these things that we're doing uh, for your glory to be spirit-filled. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.